And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Eat Sleep Podcast Repeat. My name is Dave Taylor, and uh, man, we're going to have a fun episode today. Uh, thanks for checking us out again. We're FM99 and 106.9 The Fox's only wrestling podcast. You can find us at FM99.com and 1069thefox.com under the media tab, under those websites. Also, you can uh, find us on social media, ESPR99 on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, and, of course, you're listening to us on the podcast app. Uh, this episode is a little bit different than other ones, and I'll explain why in just a moment. Uh, but uh, you can find us on Stitcher, TuneIn, uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, Google, uh, you know, whoever has a podcast app, more likely you're going to find us. Just search ESPR Wrestling, and uh, we should pop right up, and you can check out a lot of our episodes. So, again, I did say uh, this will be a different episode, and, um, you know, uh, 99% of the time on this uh, podcast, we do cover wrestling. But I had an opportunity to interview a baseball player. No, we did not talk wrestling, so I will put that in there. Uh, dis- disclaimer right now. I needed an outlet for this interview because uh, he was fantastic. Bronson Arroyo, who pitched uh, many years for the Cincinnati Reds, also won a World Series with the Boston Red Sox and put out a new album. Uh, dude grew up listening to like 90s alternative, uh, very influential on uh, what he did. And uh, the guy you know, put out some music. So we talk music. We talk, uh, we talk about his baseball career. And we talk about the new rules in baseball. So this happened a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, I, I, you know, I played parts of this on the radio, but it's like, you know what? Got to put this in the podcast. So we will do that. So uh, non-wrestling fans, uh, you know what? Bronson's a heck of an interview. Uh, very cool stuff that we talk about. Uh, we will be uh, previewing WrestleMania in our next episode, but I want to get this one up uh, since uh, opening day baseball is this week. So without further ado, uh, the one and only Bronson Arroyo. How you doing, Bronson? I'm doing good. I, uh, I just came from uh, just out in Arizona. I was in the Reds locker room talking to the guys on the team yesterday and also played a little rock festival out there called Innings Fest. So, man, life couldn't be better right now. Hey, congrats, by the way, on going into the uh, Cincinnati's Reds Hall of Fame. That's an awesome achievement. Yeah, it's pretty It's pretty wild, man. You know, when you think about, you know, when you're throwing a tennis ball against a wall as a kid and you dream of pitching in the World Series, I mean, that's crazy enough as it is, but you never think about the entirety of your career and, like, you know, am I going to have a chance to get in somebody's Hall of Fame? And just just to be in a Reds uniform for nine years, you know, giving me the opportunity to amass the type of numbers that you would need to get into the Hall of Fame is, is, is pretty awesome. And then just to know I'm going to be in there, man, for the, for the rest of, you know, as long as civilization is here, I'm going to be, my busk is going to be sitting right next to Pete Rose, Johnny Bench, and Joe Morgan, these guys that are just absolute heroes of mine as a kid. And, uh, you know, only 91 people in, inducted into that Hall of Fame so far in 150 years. It's, it's pretty special. You know, that says something, you know, and I always think about like baseball in general, because like that Hall of Fame, man, that is, uh, you know, any of those Hall of Fames in that sport is a certain club that it's not easy to get into at all. No, you know, when I've walked in that museum plenty of times and looked at all the plaques on the walls, and I I thought there was maybe, you know, a couple hundred, two, three hundred in there to know there's only 90 people in there before myself is just. Yeah, it keeps it like an exclusive club. And then, you you know, you go the whole tier up from that to get into Cooperstown. I mean, it really is the best of the best of the best. And it's just, you know, it's just mind-blowing that I was even even on the ballot for Cooperstown this year. You know, I got one vote, and that was uh, that was good enough for me. <laughs> did, you, did you buy that reporter dinner or anything? Or <laughs> no, I didn't. I'm, I, I actually don't know who it is, but I'm assuming it was probably like Peter Gammons or somebody, you know, <laughs> definitely somebody who's probably a friend. And, uh you know, was endeared to Bronson Arroyo because of my personality, not so much my stats. <laughs> uh, but you were, you know, you were a guy that, that came on the scene. You know, you had that personality. I mean, with the hair 
And, and But even the pitching, I mean, you know, obviously with the long career that you had, I mean, nobody's pitching for 17 years if they're not good. No, there's no doubt. I mean, you know, what I got to do in the game was, was really um, – a lot of things that I'm having to use now to try to perform on stage, which is kind of like, you know, suppress your adrenaline in front of 40,000 people and pitching in Yankee Stadium and be able to get out with less. You know, pitching 86 to 90 miles an hour was kind of where I lived. And that's, in a lot of ways, if you look, just look at my skill set, you'd think, okay, this guy's going to get it probably three, four years in the big leagues. He'll be a swing guy from the bullpen, sometimes a starter. And that's going to be about the best you're going to get out of Bronson Arroyo. But I found a way with my mind and a mental chess match and the ability to do some things in high pressure situations. That other people wouldn't necessarily be able to do with that limited skill set to to parlay that into 22 years, you know, seven years in the minor leagues and 15 of them in the big leagues is pretty pretty awesome. Yeah, I was kind of bummed when you retired. I have to admit, I mean, that's, that's why I'm kind of like stoked to like be talking to you today because you were hey. one of my favorites to watch. So. I was bummed too, man. Trust me, I, I uh, you know, the, my whole body felt still, you know, 30 years old when I retired at 40, but. But, you know, the inside of my shoulder had been tore a couple of years earlier, and then I had Tommy John on my elbow. And the, between the two, it just wasn't going to hold its head up. I mean, I was still winning baseball games, throwing 83, 84 miles an hour for the Reds in 2017. But, when you know, when you're having if, – if I was winning baseball games like that and you're in pain, um, you know, and your velocity's going down, it's kind of survivable. But near the end, it was – my arm was so bashed up that I couldn't even get people out. And so it was kind of like if you're not having success and you're in pain and – you know, you're 40 years old. It's kind of time to hang them up. But it was it was a beautiful ride, that's for sure. Yeah, uh, fantastic. Now I know you played uh, minor league ball in Virginia. Um, oh yeah, played in Lynchburg. Yeah, in Lynchburg. Yeah, and uh, and I know, like at that time, because uh, you, you're a big '90s rock guy, the alternative era. Oh yeah. And and that was something I saw like an article where you're like you know you heard like the freshman like you know eight thousand times in the summer of nineteen ninety seven. Uh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was you know those were the days when it was like you know I came out of high school and what really caught my attention you know big time was was obviously you know the whole Seattle sound was Pearl Jam and Stone Temple Pilots and Nirvana coming out. But then you know right after that I'm in the minor leagues and you're and back then I'm still listening to CDs on a Walkman and traveling around the country on on buses with this and you know. You know, Verve Pipe is coming out and Live and Bush and Matchbox 20 and Creed and just band after band is just so good. And it almost felt like a soundtrack to my minor league career listening to a lot of these albums. And, uh, yeah, Freshman was, was a huge was a huge song for sure. Yeah, because you did, and many people may not know this, I'm going to talk about your current album in the moment, but you put out an inning, or I should say a CD. Was it like in 2005 it came out around the All-Star game? Yeah, that was – I put a, a cover album out. You know, back then – you know, I had a producer named Lauren Harriet asked me, you know, to come to, to to have this record, record this album, and I just said, you know, there's no way I can do original material. I wasn't seasoned enough as a musician at the time. I also we were just coming off winning the World Series with the Red Sox, and there was no way I could pull that off in one off season. But to put that stuff down with guys like Kenny Aronoff and Leland Sklar, I mean, absolute legends of rock, was was beautiful in itself, you know. And then, you know, to, to then all these years later you know, feel like I'm at a place where I've matured enough on a stage and played enough live shows where I felt like I could write my own stuff and feel like it was authentic and, and present that to the world has been has been a fun. Yeah, that, that was something I was going to ask, because the new album, which is out now, uh, some might say, is it, this is songs you co-wrote with the band, and you got quite the lineup with it, because there's some guys that I, I recognize that played with Juliana Hatfield and Narrows Barkley and Miley Cyrus. I mean, that, that's quite a good backing band right there. 
yeah, I met all these guys at a charity event called Hot Stove Cool Music with uh, Peter Gammons and Theo Epstein for the for the Red Sox in New England every year. They would raise some money for his foundation, and we started playing shows together after we met in 2004, and we've been playing ever since. A bunch of friends in that same friend group was Josh Klinghoffer, who um, you know was in the Chili Peppers for 10 years, and two nights ago, me. Me and my my guitar player Clint Walsh and and Josh were on stage with Eddie Vedder playing in Arizona and uh, you know it, it's like this full circle moment where all this stuff is kind of coming back together. But these guys in the band, you know, they gave me these some of these riffs, some of them I wrote myself. I would bring them back to Cincinnati and finish most of the songs with one other writer. A lot of times it was Elliot Sloan from Blessed Union of Souls, and you know these are stories that came straight out of my mind. Um, everything about this this record we produced it ourselves it's five guys in the studio with an engineer i mean nobody had any say so about this album except for the guys in the band and you know we're proud about what it sounds like and it's been fun to perform it now and, and how you know with your singing cuz i like between the first album and and, and this uh, have you taken lessons or you just kind of did it and then did somebody give you advice like what what made you decide that you you want to be a rock singer well you know just just performing music over the years and playing, you know, cover songs was just fun. You know, it still is. I still play in a band around Cincinnati, and sometimes we do a whole night of just Pearl Jam stuff. You know, it's it's like, you know, that stuff you really loved as a kid listening to. Sometimes you never get it out of your blood. But I think, you know, singing has just been a, kind of a slow evolution of playing around a campfire with an acoustic guitar. And, you know, you've taken advice from some people. I've had, you know, through COVID, I had a surgery on my neck, and, and uh, my voice was was acting a little funny, and so I, I did take a few lessons to try to learn how to preserve the voice a little bit. Um, but most of my singing styles just come from listening to a lot of albums, you know, and and it's still tough to kind of keep it in shape and keep it where it feels like you can sing. You know, this record that I wrote is not easy to perform. It's it's uh, It's got some rockers on it, and when you get done with the end of the night, you can tell that you've been singing. And, um, you know, I think it's just been something that I've learned slowly over time by performing, and how, to, how far are you from the microphone, and do you need in-ears or not, and can you hear yourself, and you know, it's a it's a whole world onto itself, and I'm slowly just peeling the layers back to where I get comfortable on the stage and make the sound better and better. Yeah, how and I, you talked about you know pitching in front of you know forty thousand people in the Yankee Stadium, and you just played a show out in Tem- uh, Tempe, Arizona. How's that pressure different? Because now everybody's looking at you. You're the lead singer. Is it is it comparable? Is it different? It's a little comparable because you know as a starting pitcher, a lot of times you have the ball in your hand and people are looking at you, and if you're you know, you walk a couple of guys and you're at home and you throw eight balls in a row, they start booing you. You know that they're, they're staring right at you. But but I always felt, you know, baseball-wise that you were performing a lot of times for yourself and your teammates and the fans could be secondary unless, like I said, they were just full-out booing you. But, you know, musically, people pay $12, $20, whatever it is, you know, to, to buy a ticket to a show and they come and they're standing right in front of the stage and they're looking you eye to eye and they're expecting you to please them, you know. So it's sometimes musically it can feel a little more nerve-wracking in a lot of ways because you can't you i can't give up you know four runs in the first inning of a, of a music act and, and expect people to come back again you know it's par for the course that you might get your butt kicked on a baseball field but musically nobody expects you to have a bad night and so sometimes it feels like you know you, you need to be on your uh you know on, on top of your game yeah yeah now you got to i'm looking at the lineup of these uh, festivals here is did you is there some rock stars that you didn't meet maybe until this festival or have you met them in the past you know kind of because you know i mean you see that uh you know, eddie vetter's there and green day was there and the black rose and the offspring yeah you know some of the guys have come through the locker rooms over the years met billy joe and the guys from green day back in the day i've I've been friends with Eddie Vedder for a while, and we got to play on stage with him the other night. So um, got to see him. But, you know, I would have loved to, to Marcus Mumford I didn't get to, to meet. You know, the guys from the Revivalists were there. I know Dave Matthews is going to be at the one in Tampa along with, you know, Third Eye Blind, Weezer. I mean, a lot of these bands were just obviously, 
you know, soundtracks to, to, to parts of my life. And, um, you know, sometimes to shake hands with these guys and to, to be in the same room with them as playing on the same festivals is very, very cool. But, um, you know, at a festival, a lot of times you're, you're being jerked around to media and this, that, and the other thing, and it's hard, it's hard to uh, actually take in all the music that you want to take in. Yeah, we we've done some you know, rock radio festivals here, and uh, you know, and it's hard because there's like, you know, we we see some of the bands you know doing their thing, you know, in the backstage area. We have our own area, and and I think like it was like Dave Draymond from Disturbed came out to watch one of the bands play, and look, we had no idea, and then. You know, and he posted pictures. I was like, he was in the middle of the crowd. Like, I don't think people realized, like, you know, he went out there watching these guys. So you got guys watching you. You're probably not even aware of what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's part of the fun of being at a festival. You know, you don't know who's who's checking it out. I mean, you know, Pearl Jam's sound hunt, front, front of house sound guy mixed us the other day. And, and um, when, I, when I went back to chat with Eddie about jumping up on stage with him later in the night, you know, he said, oh, I saw some video, man. He said doesn't look like this is a hobby anymore for you, Bronson, you know, and you just, you never know who's going to see your performance, especially nowadays with technology. And it's so easy to kind of live stream things on Facebook or, or just take a video and pop it up anywhere on Twitter or something. So it's, uh, you know, you always feel like you're performing and kind of you're in the, in the spotlight, but that's, that's kind of the thing that I'm figuring out in music is, is to really, really get comfortable. It's like, you got to act like you're playing in your basement and nobody's watching. And that's hard to do when people have their eyes on you, you know, and I'm slowly getting to the point where you can give a stage performance to people and really have a good time with the guys in the band and not worry so much about all these eyes that are on you. Well, is it easier with these guys like, like, like an Eddie Vedder? Cause I know he's a big baseball fan. Do you talk baseball with them or do you talk music with them? <laughs> You know, it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think, um, you know, this time we were talking a lot about music because I just put this record out and was just talking about how to get the music out and, you know, playing different festivals and shows and being on XM Radio and how we're going to try to make this thing happen. But in uh, in older times, you know, we've talked a lot about baseball. You know, the guys are very interested in, in what it's like to be, you know, out there on the mound. I mean, you know, for, for people who are a true baseball fan to just, you know, stand in Wrigley Field or Fenway Park and and know what it would be like to just stand up there and have Albert Pujols in the box. You know, they want to they want to taste it, touch it, and smell it. And it's uh, you know, it's nice to tell those stories to some of these guys that have been legends of rock, and and also have them appreciate what I've done for my life's work. Yeah. Now, on this new album, uh, do you have some favorite tracks on this? Yeah, I'd, for me, I'd say, uh, gosh, man, it's it's really hard because I love the record, but. Um, Guerrilla Warfare, if you like the Rocky stuff, Guerrilla Warfare is really good. The most radio-friendly hit is probably Nights Alive. Um, just got a bunch of hooks in it, you know, and Higher Ground. Those two are probably the most radio-friendly songs, but I love Guerrilla Warfare. Um, Own Your Name that I wrote about Vietnam is got some just a, a dirty riff that I, that I love. It's got a lot of energy in it. But um, And there's one track that's real soft called Never Let You Go, and it's um, it's kind of like this acoustic little ditty where I'm talking about John Lennon, Paul McCartney in the first verse, and I get to Bob Dylan and then Elvis. And uh, it's kind of like a, it's, it's, it's a ballad in a lot of ways. It gives me goosebumps. It's probably the prettiest thing on the record. What, what, what music, uh, you know, you talk about all these uh, influences from that era in the 90s. What are you listening, like what current bands are you loving right now? You know, over the last few years, uh, you know, you're playing a lot uh, of, of uh, your own stuff and trying to dial that in. So you're not listening quite as much as you used to. But over the last, I'd say even seven years, honestly, I've been stuck on the Lumineers for a long time, man. I mean, I saw, I've seen them probably five, six, seven times live, and all those records is something that you could just sit and listen to no matter what you're doing, and there's not a bad song on the record, man. I, I, I think the Lumineers are kind of, in modern day, I feel like they're in the league of their own, honestly. Uh, one thing I'd like to see, because I know when the All-Star game was at Cleveland a couple of years ago and I was there, you know, they had events at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, but would you be involved in, like, you know, like the All-Star 
you know, festivities, if you want. Maybe it's not an MLB event, but I know there's some people that book bands. Is that something that's you know, on the table or could be on the table? Yeah, you know, I'm kind of fishing through all the options now. You know, we've gotten the music to MLB Net, and we're probably going to try to stop in the studio and give them a little performance at some point and kind of talk about nice. how the band has met through baseball and stuff. And, and people say, well, what about minor league stadiums and stuff? So I'm kind of just getting my feet wet in that, but I'm hoping that, you know, this record is going to be a part of baseball in some way, whether it's through MLB Net or playing some live performances in some stadiums over the next couple of years. And, you know, I'm, I'm not in a rush to write another album. I feel like you know, doing this project was, was very difficult, and I want I really want to, like, sit in it and enjoy it for a while. So I'm hoping to, to get out and play this stuff live and, and be connected to baseball in some way for sure. Well, I, I, lo- I love the name of the band because, obviously, it's the year you won the World Series, but uh, Bronson and Royal in the 04, so that's... <laughs> yeah, it, you know, that came about. We were really, I really wanted to... We really wanted to have the band be highlighted because it feels like Tom Petty's not Tom Petty without the Heartbreakers, right? And 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 to make that distinction is is uh, important, I think. And so we were trying to come up with band names, and we couldn't come up with anything. And then finally, we were in Fenway Park shooting some video footage and rehearsing. And somebody said, "What about Bronson Royal in the '04? We all met in 2004. There's four guys playing music behind me, and we obviously won a World Series that year. So it just it felt like it fit the bill. It's a little bit of an odd name in a way, like people might not quite understand it unless they're a baseball fan. But you know, this is a group of guys have been hanging out together for 20 years like childhood friends and playing music a lot and made this album come alive so i really wanted the band to be you know get some notoriety in there it's not just bronson roy with a bunch of hired guns this is truly you know a, a, a band of friends hanging together like jumping in the van and making it happen yeah yeah p- people you know that i think that helps a lot and says a lot as well i know we're yeah, getting absolutely. tight on time um no i'm good what oh, do you want? oh good uh hey uh the pitch clock in mlb what do you think you know, uh, the, the rule changes, man, they've been coming down the pipe quite often in the last few years, and sometimes sometimes you can be surprised. You know, like uh, the, 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 the instant replay, I've really loved the fact that they've gotten those calls right. And so, you know, I'm trying not to be too harsh on my criticism of what it will be like. I pitched at an up-tempo pace and was always very quick out there. And, you know, I remember Joey Votto one time, he told me, Bronson, he's like, I got tickets to front row playoff Lakers game and the only way I'm going to make it is if you pitch a game <laughs> under two two hours and 20 minutes and I gave him like a nine inning two hour and you know 25 minute game and he made it to, he made it to the second half of that game that night and I really always loved trying to see if you could finish games quick but that could affect some other guys out there that that really kind of like to walk around the mound and have a different cadence to the way that they get prepared and you know pitch to pitch but um, you know, the bigger bases, I don't know, it might be a little funny out there. We'll see what happens. You know, not being able to pick off the first base more than two times, that's going to be very odd. I'm so interested to see what happens when a guy knows he can take as big a lead as he wants and just kind of walk into second base. It's gonna, that's definitely going to affect the game a good bit. And then kind of taking the shift away is going to really, you know, do some things to some of these left-handers and open up some holes for these guys they haven't had in a few years. Yeah, I, I work for the uh, Norfolk Tides as well, the radio station here. And I've been their DJ since like 2008. And like that shift, man, is just, you know, that, that's just a, you know, not just a killer to the right field, but also the guy up the middle too. You know, it's just, ah. Uh. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been it's been strange, you know, and as statistics of the game have emerged and we can see under kind of the belly of baseball in a lot of ways and understand what what's the best way to kind of go at these things. You know, you kind of get some of these oddball things and in in a lot of ways it feels like it takes some of the tradition out of the game, but I you know, I try to be open-minded. You got to kind of you got to roll with the punches, man. If you know, if Little Wayne is the new, newest hottest thing on the record, I try not to be like our parents were like, "Oh, you know, I used to hear my grandmother say the Beatles were terrible because she grew up in 1910, right?" And it yeah. was like it, I try not to be that guy, so I try, I'm going to observe this year and see what happens in baseball, and hopefully it's going to be a good year. Do you, uh, you know, I, I, I do 
I find it interesting with the bigger bases and stuff because when you were growing up, and I think we're close to the same age, like to, to me, like stealing was a big part of the game. You know, the small ball, if you will. Like I miss that. Yeah, I totally agree, and, I, and I'm hoping the pendulum will swing back just a little bit in the game. You know, you're, you've got a game now where, where they understand that putting the ball in the play is – is uh, or, or not allowing the hitter to put the ball in play is your best defense. And so you got these guys out there telling these pitchers to throw every pitch as nasty and as hard as they can for five innings, and then we're going to bring four guys out of the bullpen to throw 95 to 100 and see if we can close the game out. And some of that stuff is a lot of swing and miss, a ton of homers, a ton of strikeouts. Nobody moves the ball over anymore. They don't put bunts down. They don't steal bases. And, you know, for me, I mean, you know, like I said, statistics don't lie. But the point is there's still kind of got to be this marriage between um, – you know, a certain style of game and also what makes sense statistically. And, and I wish that, uh, you know, I think starting pitchers at some point are going to have to come back and be throwing a little softer if you want these guys to survive later in their careers. And if you look at the teams that are getting into the deep in the playoffs and winning a World Series, they still have a front-line three guys who are getting, you know, close to 200 innings in a year. And if you keep stealing that out of the game, I just, uh, you know, it doesn't feel as special to me. No, it, it does change. I mean, that's why, like, uh, you know, I always, like, appreciate, like, the Verlanders and the Scherzers currently, you know, the, the veterans now, you know, who've been, you know, can't get the ball out of their hands. <laughs> Absolutely. Zach Grinke and, oh, yeah. you know, and Clayton Kershaw, guys who, you know, guys that get it done at 93, 94, but, it, but have given you deep in ball games and not just throwing 95 to 100 with two pitches and they're walking – you know, a batter in inning and striking out a batter in inning. You know, it's like sometimes that stuff looks sexy in the short term. But for me, you know, the craftsmanship of a guy like Tom Glavin or Greg Maddox is what turned me on about the game of baseball. And to 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 take all of that out of the game and just be kind of like power, power, power just doesn't just doesn't resonate with me a whole lot. And I think if you look at your really good ball clubs like the St. Louis Cardinals that are always in it, they've got scrappy guys who put the ball in play. They always play small ball. And I really think that the blending of the two is where you're going to get your best ball club. Yeah, how the heck every year? I mean, even when you're counting them out, it's like, how are they doing this? I, I, just... I know, I know. There's some there's some secret sauce over there. It's obviously not just Tony La Russa because he's been gone for a while. And they they consistently put a quality product out there, man. That is just you know tough to beat, especially in St. Louis, and it's 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 remarkable. Do you like the Ghost Runner? I hate the Ghost Runner. If you <laughs> you know, I don't have a strong strong opinion about many of the rules, but you you bring me into a game and tell me you're going to put a guy on second base, even if it doesn't count against my ERA, it just it feels like a spring training game, and it feels like you're. You're you're stealing something from me, man. It's like you got to earn your way under the bases. I'm not giving you anything for free, you know. Yeah, they, they changed that, and then the uh, the position player, like we can only play like when it's a blowout or whatever. I, I don't like that one. But. I know, I know that there's it's quirky, man. It's quirky, and sometimes you. I I often ask myself, what's the difference between a three hour and ten minute game and a two hour and fifty minute game? But some for some reason the league has some value there because they've been talking about it for my entire career. Over 20 years, I've been hearing them say, we need to speed the game up. So there's, you know, there's all these quirky things that sometimes don't make sense to us, but you know, the guys in the front office sometimes are making the, the decisions. The guys on the field just, just play, you know? Well, and, and they got the numbers probably more than what we see maybe with ratings, you know, not just nationally, but on the local level, you know, there's a taper off or, you, you right. know, I mean, I've been, I've been, I'm a huge baseball fan but it, it it does get tough because you know sometimes you know the game's going on and you're like well you know what what's going on here and you said like the right. guy stepping off the mound and everything else and in the minors they've had the pitch clock and it, and it has made a difference so uh, to me right people have said that, that that the pitch clock has sped the game up for sure and it and it it probably will and and you know 
like I said, I try to be a little bit open-minded. I mean, I, I will say, you know, the athletes are, no matter what anybody says, athletes do nothing but get better and better because you're just building on the shoulders of giants. And, and if you look at a guy like Ozzie Smith and the plays he made back in the day were just absolutely ridiculous. But there's, you know, you can see a handful of those being made by every shortstop in the game these days for the most part. There's just, you know, guys get bigger, faster, stronger all the time. But, you know, we always think about the nostalgic days and how the game was when we played and, and – um, I remember seeing a spring training commercial where Buck Showalter, at the very end of it, it says, these are the good old days. And I try to, I try to remember that, you know what I mean? Like watching a present-day baseball game, these are the good old days 20 years from now. And, uh, yeah. you know, you just hope you, that, that, that the product they put out on the field is enjoyable to watch, and hopefully it will be this year. I mean, every sport is involved I mean, with instant replay. I mean, I think baseball was, to me, late with that. But, you know, basketball never had a shot clock for years. You know, teams will just, you know, hang out of the ball or whatever. Just... Right, right. I know. And now, and now if you look at that, you're like, man, how could you have possibly played the game without the shot clock, right? So, you know, it kind of go, goes both ways. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens this year because they made so they, – they really went hard this year to change some different rules. It's going to be interesting to watch the game. Now, you probably did this, and, and so tell me how this strategy would change. But if you got somebody warming up in the bullpen and, and, you know, you're late in the game or whatever and you're throwing over the first a lot or you're, you know, killing time off the mound uh, – what what is that pitcher going to do now to you know help that guy get warmed up? Because you can't only do so many mound visits by the catcher now. Right, right. So you got you're limited on mound on, on mound things. You got the umpires probably going to be yelling at you about the pitch clock. So it's <laughs> yeah. I mean they're tightening it down a little bit, and that also affects bullpens, like you just said. So the way that the manager is going to navigate the game, he's going to have to get his guys up in the bullpen a little bit earlier and kind of on point to make sure they're ready to go right away. Because like you said, you can't just kind of kill time. You can't the manager can't walk out the. To the, to the mound too many times, and, and now the catcher can't walk out and just kill some time. So it's a, you know, all this small stuff plays into the strategy of the game. And But at the end of the day, I feel like um, regardless of all the rule changes, you know, the talent on the field, man, with the players is where the magic really happens. And, uh, you know, the good teams will rise to the top, and that's what's beautiful about baseball being 162 games is that you can only fake it for so long. You can be a mediocre team and play really good for two months, but you cannot do that for six months. You know, I always say the game just sifts out the bad, and uh, you just see the cream, the cream rise to the top. Yeah. Do you have uh, predictions for this year? Can I get the Bronson Royal prediction for 2023? <laughs> You know, the further I get away from the game, honestly, and not personally knowing the players, it becomes more difficult to kind of hone in on what's going on. You know, and, and I've been out of the game for five years, and I'd say just three years ago there was probably 15 guys in a Reds locker room that I had played with, and now there's only one guy left, Joey Votto, that I played with. And it's, I was in that locker room yesterday, and you're looking at all these kids that are 22, 23 years old, and I don't, I don't know them, and they don't know me. But um, I think the big dogs, you know, I think the, the high-paying revenues, I think Dodgers – Astros, um, Red Sox are going to bounce back this year. They won't be like they were last year. I think the Cubs will bounce back a little bit, but I never count out the Cardinals. I think the the the, the mainstays of the game. There's always going to be a surprise or two, but but it feels like as the as as TV revenues are coming in, it's still that kind of like scene where you know the big big dogs that are spending two and three hundred million on their on their um, salaries are are. Uh, you know, emerging in the in the playoffs and winding, finding their ways to the World Series. Yeah, the Mets payroll, the Dodgers payroll. Good Lord. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, the Mets are going to be super interesting, right? I mean, they just packed it all in there this year, and they've made some some really really great moves. So it'll be it'll be fun to see if that if that works because sometimes it doesn't. And the Mets have have seemingly been that team that has spent money every time and never gotten to the big dance really. Um, in modern times, and so it'll be it'll be fun to see if they can turn the corner. Yeah, I think it was what, eight years ago against uh, the Royals, where they were just uh, just didn't have a good series. But that was it. But 
Yeah. Uh, two more questions. One, because uh, as your career winded down and after you retired, like the whole sign stealing thing came out. Do you have any thoughts on that? Or do you ever felt like you're a victim of that from certain teams? I'm not going to mention. Or? <laughs> no, not a lot with me. I mean, there, there were times when I pitched in Toronto where you would hear weird things about Toronto. And I, I remember giving up almost like a record breaking, like, I don't know, an, an inning and a third and 10 runs or something in Toronto around 2010. And then I got my butt kicked there again the next time I pitched there, but I'd had success there in the past too. So, you know, for me also, I, I used to pitch in a strange way where the last probably five years of my career, I only used two signs. I would just, so if, if David Ross was catching me and he put down a fastball down and away, where he just put a one down, I could throw a fastball there. I could sink it. I could cut it. I could throw a change up um, or just a straight fastball, you know? So, and then if he put a curveball down, they didn't know if I was going to throw it 68 and 12-6 or if I was going to throw it 78 and make it real sweepy like a slider. So because my catcher didn't even know exactly what was coming, I never felt like I was going to be a victim of sign stealing because nobody else knew what I was really going to throw. But for the most part, most guys don't do that. You know, their stuff is too electric, and the catcher can't just be not knowing exactly which way the ball is going to move. Luckily for me, I only threw like 86 to 90, so I could kind of get away with that. Yeah, and if you're working with the same guy all the time, that helps too. I know certain pitchers like to have certain catchers. It's always like, that's my guy. It's just... Right, yeah, and David Ross became my guy in Cincinnati, and then he parlayed that into you know, a really great baseball career, and that was only because Jason LaRue was hurt in 2006, and we got off to a good start together. But sometimes that, you know, that relationship with your catcher, like you said, they catch you long enough, we're on the same page, and now it's almost like you know what I want to throw before I even want to throw it because you've been living inside of my mindset and how unorthodox I am and how I pitch outside of the box for such a long time. And that's what was the beautiful thing about having a guy like Ryan Hannigan, Jason Veritek, or, or David Ross catch you for a long period of time, year after year, to kind of understand your nuances. Bronson, I wish you the best of luck with this album and all the promoting you're doing in support of it. You know, in baseball, you don't care about promotion, right? It's like <laughs> you show up to the ballpark, you play, you hope people show up and enjoy the game, but it doesn't affect anything about the way that your contract is set up or the way that you prepare yourself. But musically, it's like, you know, you work so hard to put these songs together and it's such a grind and then you know you could listen to it for 30 seconds and just throw the album down which is everybody's right but you know for the artist you know you've put in such you've slaved over these songs for such a long time and every word and every nuance that you hope you can get it out there and people appreciate it man that guy was great and i love in an interview when you talk to somebody and you're like uh you know we were short on time and he's like nah i got more time i love those kind of interviews you know, there's a handful of people I've interviewed uh, in my career that that have given me that, and, I, and I'm thankful for that because some of the other guys just can't wait to get off the phone. But they're making the media rounds. I think I was the last one of the day with Bronson. So a fantastic interview. Uh, and just a nice uh, chit-chat with that guy. Anyways, again, thanks for checking us out. ESPR, yes, Eat, Sleep, Podcast, Repeat. And, um, you know, not always just wrestling. You know, we've covered hey, UFC on this show and everything else, but uh, this time we talked baseball with uh, – Major leaguer, uh, former major leaguer, and now musician Bronson Royal. Uh, heck of an interview. Again, thanks for checking us out. ESPR, uh, Facebook and Twitter, ESPR 99. Uh, also on uh, you know all the podcast apps, just search ESPR Wrestling, Spotify, TuneIn, SoundCloud. You make sure you subscribe. Make sure uh, you know you get the notifications when we post new episodes because there'll be a lot of WrestleMania stuff coming this weekend. So that is uh, pretty cool. And, of course, uh, 1069fox.com, fm99.com. You can find us there as well. And as always, make sure you eat, sleep, podcast, and repeat. My name is Dave Taylor. Thanks for listening to ESPR.